Sunday, October 30, 2022. Welcome to the 37th episode in this series from Midas Touch and 5-Minute News called The Weekend Show, where we take a deep dive into the news of the week. You can subscribe to the show as audio in addition to my daily 5-Minute News podcast on iTunes or wherever you get yours. Joining me today is an investigator and consultant who takes an unconventional approach to fighting against domestic fascist organisations and unlawful militia. That's Christopher Goldsmith. Christopher, hi. Welcome to The Weekend Show. Hey, thanks for having me. So you are kind of uniquely placed to bring insight into this conversation because this has been one of the most, uh, you know, leading up to the midterms, we're, we're just about nine days away from the midterm elections. And it's, it's as if we are back uh, leading up to the 2020 election with, you know, Donald Trump denying that he would accept the result if he doesn't win. Um, we're hearing that from multiple candidates, uh, Republican candidates specifically. Um, we are seeing um, Republicans seeking to dissuade people from voting by intimidating them, uh, standing in full kind of military regalia at drop boxes and following people home. I mean, this is this is not what one would expect from the United States of America. And so this is something we're going to focus on in this conversation. Going forward, just to kind of forge ahead, I want to talk about where this is happening. Even in, in California, um, people with disabilities are being forced out of you know, the chance to vote. We also on Friday had Elon Musk take control of Twitter, which, uh, and, I, and I think that... Um, He's already fired, you know, many of the senior executives there. We've got Lindsey Graham being kind of bailed out of having to give evidence in this um, overturning election um, uh, case in Georgia by Clarence Thomas on the Supreme Court. I mean, it's not really looking good for Democrats at the moment if all of this stuff does kind of go in Republicans' favour. So with your expertise as a, a military vet and with the work that you do right now, like, do you think people really understand the threat to American democracy uh, democracy right now? In a word, no. I mean, full stop. That's it. America is um, unfortunately not paying attention to the threats as they arrive. There's a small community of, of folks who are avid news consumers, like I'm sure every lish, listener or viewer of your show is, Right. But most Americans are voting about gas prices. They're not voting against fascism. They're voting against, you know, the numbers on the billboards, uh, you know, at the gas station, which is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it, it is frustrating to me to no end that this country, this country's voters, let's not blame politicians for anything, right? Because we live in a democracy. We live in a republic. Politicians do what the voters want, right? Voters sent me and my generation to fight in a war that no one really cared about. But when democracy is, is under real threat here at home, people are kind of sleeping through it. And, and that is why I do what I do. That is why I have, have made my life uh, about hunting neo-Nazis and, uh, you know, taking, going on offense for democracy rather than sitting back and, and just taking it or just ignoring it. Because, you know, what, what, what we see with uh, things like 
Pelosi's house, having a, a crazy man with a hammer uh, break into it and assault her husband, uh, or militia, uh, unlawful militia who are intimidating voters, not just in Arizona, but around the country. This is stuff that is not acceptable. Um, and there should be a response from the people. And that that is to go out and vote. But um, we're not seeing it anywhere near the level that it should. I mean, yes, there's early results are showing that uh, early voting is is happening at, at, at a, a high-ish level. But I think if everyone truly understood how close we were to catastrophe, we'd have a little more participation in trying to maintain our democracy. It doesn't help when you have Republicans like Ted Cruz tweeting out that, you know, why can't the results all be counted on the day? This is fraud. You know, nowhere gets all the results on the day. And, you know, the use of mail-in voting is used right across the world. It's completely normal. And yet somehow here, Trump certainly going, you know, going back a few years, started to sow seeds that mail-in voting was in some way fraudulent. Then, of course, with COVID, ballot drop boxes became even more essential so people didn't have to intermingle in polling places. And, of course, that was seized upon by Republicans to suggest that they were in some way fraudulent when, of course, drop boxes are used right around the world in all functioning democracies. What chance do um, people have when there is so much misinformation on this level to actually guarantee that their vote is being counted? Because to all intents and purposes, there is no voter fraud in America. Yeah. Um, you know, the the idea that uh, that mainstream cable television uh, television news has has given so much air to these conspiracy theories. It's important to educate the public about the conspiracy theories, but at a certain point, um, amplifying conspiracy theories or hate, basically amplifying anything that Trump does or says, you're giving oxygen to something. Um, and I think we've reached a point where the media has has become somewhat aware of this and and their role in amplifying Trump, and uh, they're very very aware of being accused of being a liberal or part of the uh, the liberal elite or the cabal or whatever QAnon wants to call them. So they're they're creating unfair um, false equivalencies. You know, we over the past couple of weeks, we've watched uh, two folks who uh, who have suffered head injuries in debates. Right. We've we've seen uh, Herschel Walker, who uh, very clearly and I, I say this as someone who has a traumatic brain injury. I, I you know live with that every day. Herschel Walker very clearly has suffered multiple traumatic brain injuries. And because of that. And because of the symptoms that he has and additional symptoms as someone who's been very open with my post-traumatic stress disorder, my suicide attempt in the past, my anxiety, my depression, right? I'm talking about things that I'm very familiar with. Herschel Walker has disassociative personality disorder. He has pulled a weapon on his, on his ex-wife. He has threatened to get in shootouts with cops. And then you've got John Fetterman 
who's been serving you know his state for a decade now in in government as a leader he's well liked uh he had a stroke it, that's an injury it's a brain injury that you can recover from and all evidence shows that he is on the path to recovery and for some reason we've had the mainstream press and and I love journalists I'm married to one we've had the mainstream press and all the talking heads making these false equivalencies like oh well Herschel Walker didn't you know um you know pull down his pants on stage so he did great he defied expectations and then you have John Fetterman who's debating someone who spent their entire career on television that that is that is not um these two things are not the same but we all week we have heard nothing uh except on on television except how uh, you know, Fetterman, Fetterman, you know, was uh, was slow with his words. He didn't he didn't say anything iron- uh, moronic. He didn't pull out a, a plastic police badge. I mean, yeah. come on. He, he referred to the elephant in the room, which was, of course, the, the stroke. Mm-hmm. And um, you would have thought that. You know, this because I talked a lot a couple of weeks ago on a, on a program here about how mental health, especially when it comes to Her- Herschel Walker, is it's still so taboo in America. And yet, you know, here where I'm in California, everybody's got a therapist and nobody really refers to themselves as mentally ill. And uh, certainly on Five Minute News a couple of days ago, we reported on Herschel Walker and, and the story started a severely mentally ill man. That's how the story should be reported, because mm-hmm. it is not fair to say that somebody with, uh, you know, a multiple personality disorder or in the case of Fetterman having had a stroke, they're not on an even keel with their opponents necessarily. And, you know, Herschel Walker is a, is a Republican. Some of his views are, are quite extreme. And yet I do not, you know, as a pro-democracy person, do not want to see him uh, ex- uh, exploited in the way that he is being exploited by the GOP. Mm-hmm. But all of this feeds into this kind of um, devaluing American democracy by putting forward candidates who are, you know, fundamentally suffering. And in the case of Herschel Walker, I've said that the GOP love the fact that he's a black man because that also kind of looks like they are you know, less racist, which, of course, is not not the case. But they are just using him, aren't they? I mean, Lindsey Graham made that absolutely clear. I I think that was just in the past week where he had uh, Herschel Walker sitting down next to him, smiling and nodding with his empty head. As Lindsey Graham said to the camera, talking to Republican voters, saying, if you vote in this black guy, Democrats can't call you racist. Yeah. That's the most racist thing that I've seen that particular senator do. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's a lot coming from from uh, a senator from South Carolina. Uh, you know, I last time I checked, Tim Scott was still a Republican. He's still in the Senate. And Lindsey Graham seems to just totally discount that he even exists. I mean, what what Lindsey Graham is basically doing is he is very mask off, hood off, whatever you want to, you know, whatever phrase you want to use, is being straight up racist using this man, this disabled man as a prop to tell Republicans, if you vote for this guy who can't uh, get a sentence out of his mouth, let alone come up with a policy idea, that you're not racist anymore. 
And and the Republicans understand that that's the joke. It's it's not about policy. It's only about power. And, and owning owning the libs at whatever cost. Exactly. And that's the, I mean, that's the tragedy of this, isn't it? That it's almost yeah. like it's a game. That it's funny, you know. There is they seem to kind of enjoy it, like they get off on it, and 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 that is what makes me most sad. Is because, you know, all of these uh, GOP operatives, they're very wealthy. They they are looked after. They you know, if gas prices go up, it doesn't affect them at all. They don't they they don't care. They can afford the difference, and yet their constituents are are suffering. And mm-hmm. I, I just want to talk about some of the locations around the U.S. where we're seeing this. I want to point and get your opinion on Florida. We saw some video footage two weeks ago of, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis's task force arresting former felons who mm-hmm. were told when they were released from incarceration that they were allowed to vote because that's effectively what the law said at the time. And uh, he then sent the sheriff's department out to go and put handcuffs on elderly black people mm-hmm. to take them to a police station for election fraud. They didn't know what what these sheriff's officers were talking about. Yeah, and the sheriffs didn't know either. I mean, yeah. what those body cams made clear was that the sheriffs didn't really understand why they were there, why they were enforcing the law the way that it was. If I mean, what we saw was malpractice uh, in terms of, you know, he Ron DeSantis is the chief executive. He is the chief law enforcement officer effectively of the state of Florida. And rather than uh, make sure that when this voter integrity task force or whatever he's calling it was put in, that he would do things on the front end, stop people from committing crimes. So when they apply to vote, instead of saying yes, and the state helping them commit a crime, they should have said, no, you're no longer, you're not eligible to vote for X, Y, and Z. If you wish to resolve it, here's the information on, uh, you know, how you can be re-enfranchised. But Ron DeSantis is racist. Ron DeSantis knows that his election integrity task force, the only reason it exists is to stop black voters from going to the polls. He wants black voters who are eligible to vote to be too afraid because six months after they vote, a year after they vote, a year and a half after they vote, they might just have a bunch of people in badges carrying guns show up at their doorstep. And that's you know, getting arrested and, and brought to the county jail and being released at the same time. That's that's one thing. But when a black person in America has a person with a badge come up to their door or pull them over, they know that they've got a higher chance of dying in that moment than they otherwise would throughout their day. So this is this is real terror. This is using the state, using the power of the state deliberately to terrorize American citizens. It, what Ron DeSantis is doing is deliberate, and I think it should be criminal, which is why it's so important for, you know, if Democrats are able to uh, to manage to hold power, and, and I, I think that it's possible, you know, voter, and, uh, voter protection laws are the first thing that needs to happen. It's, it's the first thing that needs to happen, you know, anytime that Democrats are in power, because all around the country right now, uh, people of color are being disenfranchised, and that is done so that they could erode uh, the rights of of every one of us. Well, there was a you know Voting Rights Act recently that no Republicans would vote for, and you know that kind of says it all, doesn't it? That 
that even when you put voting rights on the statute, not a single solitary Republican is prepared to vote for it because they know that the more Democrats that vote, the, the, the less chance or the more people that vote, the less chance there is of Republican candidates being successful. Let's use the F word now. I'm very keen to kind of deal with fascism because it gets thrown around. And those of us who have connections to the Second World War with our ancestors, those of us like me who are migrants from Europe, where we are reminded on a daily basis about the, the, the rise of fascism and the threat to Western democracy, um, you know, it's, it's very much front of mind. But in America, the F word has only really been used in the last couple of years, you know, even during Donald Trump's tenure, despite him gassing American citizens outside the White House. Still, people were like, oh, no, that's not that's not fascism. And the rest of us like, yes, it is. But but what I'm interested in your view on is how Republicans and the right are now claiming that Biden is the fascist, that that Democrats are fascists because they're wanting to right some of these wrongs to kind of, you know, effectively deal with some of these issues that are coming up. Why and how on earth is fascism being turned around by the fascists in this way? Well, Republicans know that if they use words uh, over and over and over again, they can redefine them the way that they've redefined communist or socialist. I'm constantly called and including by a lot of my conservative fellow veterans, constantly called a communist or a socialist. It's like, guys, I'm a small business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. I pay a lot of taxes. I am a job creator. I am everything that Republicans say that, that they you know, want people to be. I fought for my country. I, you know, I'm the first person to get a degree in my family. I've, I've done all these things that the Republicans say you ought to do. But they go, oh, you're, you're a communist. Why do they do that? Because to them, it just means, you know, uh, bad. That's it. Like they, they're using these words to completely strip the meaning away. You know, socialist and, and communist is used, especially in Florida, because there is uh, and Florida and Texas, where where there's a, a heavy uh, immigrant population, because in places like Cuba and Venezuela, people were fleeing uh, these oppressive regimes. So those words do resonate. But the reason that they're using it against Joe Biden more broadly is because they recognize that the Republican Party is becoming fascist. So if they render it meaningless, if they, if they make it synonymous with just the word bad, then when they're called fascists, the Republicans don't have to respond. I, when I do interviews, um, I always take the time to make clear when I use the word fascist or neo-Nazi, I am being specific. I am talking about people who adhere to things like ethno-nationalism, who believe in a supreme leader, who will not accept the legitimate wins of their political opponents in a democracy. I'm talking about um, you know, when I say neo-Nazi, I mean national socialist. Very often when I call someone a Nazi, it's because they describe themselves as Nazis, the swastika bearing kind, whether they're overseas or here at home. When I say that I'm a Nazi hunter, when I say that I, my organization, Sparvarius, my company, or the nonprofit that I started, Task Force Butler, when I say that we hunt Nazis, I'm talking about the, the KKK, people who 
literally this past weekend were burning a swastika in their backyard because that's the kind of thing that they do. And the Republican Party has, in recent years, started to become very, very comfortable with neo-Nazis, those actual real swastika-bearing neo-Nazis. We recently saw, just a couple months ago over the summer, a bunch of uh, members of, of the National Socialist uh, of Florida, NSF, uh, were protesting outside a GOP event, a Turning Point USA uh, event. And they were protesting in favor of Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis never condemned them. Why? Because they're good for him. Yeah. Literal neo-Nazis carrying flags with swastikas and signs that say they support DeSantis. DeSantis won't condemn that because he likes having their support because they are terrorists who terrorize people of color. And he knows that if he lets the Nazis run around rampant in Florida, that there's a lower chance of him losing election because that's how democracy works. And when Ron DeSantis goes up against Disney because they choose to, you know, welcome people from all social groups, uh, talking about the LGBTQ plus community and, and, he he he's purposely making an enemy of Disney because he knows that his far right following are going to be drawn to his kind of macho behavior, even though as a conservative, he should be on the side of big business. And yet over something such as this, he is siding with the far right and the neo-Nazis and their hatred of anybody who isn't white and Aryan and cis and straight and all of those things. I mean, it's it's so blatant. It's He's not even trying to, to hide it now, is he? Yeah. And, and see, there's a fundamental difference between a guy like Trump, who is not strategic. He's basically an animal who has somehow learned how to speak English. He, <laughs> he does not think ahead of five minutes from now. Yeah. And Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis was a Navy SEAL. Ron DeSantis, um, you know, went to Yale Law School, right? I, I think it was Yale Law School. The, the yeah. man is Ivy League educated. He is extremely intelligent. He is doing these things strategically. He's doing them on purpose. And Again, he has Christina Pusher behind him as well, who, <laughs> yeah. who, is, who yeah. is herself a former Russian agent and a whole bunch of other things who is basically his campaign manager. Yeah. And, and he has effectively adopted hate as his platform. He has not brought solutions to any of the problems that, that Florida has, has faced like the, the lack of insurance. I mean, the insurance market in Florida has been completely broken. And when, uh, a special session was called just in this past year to address the the insurance, the hurricane insurance problem, the homeowners insurance problem. Rather than fix that real problem for his voters, he made the entire thing about targeting the LGBTQ plus community yeah. and picking on trans kids. The guy is a bully, but he's not dumb. Like Trump is a bully. He's clearly stupid. Mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis is a smart man. And that makes him much more dangerous because when you're deliberate, you're strategic, and you're a fascist, um, you can effectively work uh, the system to break it. 
when did all of this, you know, when did the toothpaste kind of come out of the tube or the, the genie get out of the bottle? Because we know that for decades, even since the civil rights movement and, and you know, or the abolition of slavery, any of these great historical moments where America has tried to kind of be, be a little bit more equal, there has always been a, a faction of those KKK meetings in the middle of the night or, or you know, and this stuff, the Internet has obviously helped a lot of this because as with Al-Qaeda, you know, it exists online. They don't have kind of afternoon meetups. But with your experience of, you know, hunting neo-Nazis and fascists, was all of this released? Was the, was the valve opened with Donald Trump? Or was it going on quietly during Obama's administration because of their, you know, anger about having a black man in the White House? I mean, how much blame can we put on Trump for enabling this new movement or this very open and outward movement versus what went on in the shadows before? So the the big difference now is that is the uh, massive acceleration of technology. Um, you know, it, it would be wrong for me to just say social media. It would be wrong for me to just blame the alternative social media uh, companies. Like since Elon Musk has owned uh, Twitter for like just a few hours, we've seen a massive surge in neo-Nazis coming back to the platform to create junk accounts to harass people, uh, you know, using the N-word and targeting uh, Jews specifically. Um but you know where where did this start and where where did the toothpaste come out of the tube? Um, I I think that historians would say that Newt Gingrich was a, a huge accelerant in the way that uh, in altering the way that Americans view politics as more of a uh, a sport, you know, where you care about the the team and the jersey more than you care about the game itself. Um, but as for what's going on right now. Back in the 90s, when I was a kid, if someone, you know, if if someone was a member of the KKK and they lived in Texas and they wanted to recruit people, they had to go out and, and flyer. They had to go to like an anti-choice march and hope that they find the racists there and hope that they don't get punched in the face as they're handing out uh, racist flyers. Today, they can sit, you know, on Telegram or on Twitter, create a, an anonymous uh, website and, and these anonymous avatars, and they can create pro propaganda. You know, they are, they are um, creating movies like fake documentaries to promote all sorts of conspiracy theories. And, you know, a lot of folks make the mistake of seeing, seeing a racist, seeing someone who's outwardly hate-filled and racist, and that is their identity. And they go, oh, I feel bad for that guy. He's, he's just really stupid. They aren't stupid. These, these racists, especially the ones that I'm studying, are not stupid. They are making conscious choices. They are reading Mein Kampf. They are reading uh, Mussolini's works and other fascist philosophers. They are creating... Uh, high quality content, visual, visually engaging content. They're staging events in, uh, in the real world, doing marches to intimidate and enact violence against, uh, vulnerable, vulnerable communities, filming them and, uh, stitching the video together to make it look like they are, in fact, the victims of an oppressive state or of, uh, anti fascist activists, right? 
we are facing a sophisticated enemy from within here in the United States. Um, and until the average American at least knows that this problem exists, we have no chance of stopping it. And that's why I created my nonprofit, Task Force Butler, so that I could help veterans to uh, continue their service to our country from the safety of their own homes by performing anti-fascist research to find the neo-Nazis in their neighborhoods and around the country and to hold them accountable for their violence, for their hatred, for their intimidation. Uh, because that's what it's going to take. You can't just be on defense and win the war for democracy. You need someone on offense. So if people want to support you know, the team that's on offense for democracy, they can go to taskforcebutler.org. Let's talk about Jews for just a moment, because in the last uh, couple of weeks, we've seen an increasing amount of anti-Semitic rhetoric. We've seen banners being hung from, uh, free, from freeway bridges. We, there's this uh, conspiracy theory about George Soros that we're aware of. We've heard Kanye West or whatever he's called these days being, you know, claiming that that ninety five percent of the music industry are Jews and and that's the reason why people can't get on. I mean, it's garbage, but it is an increase. It is increasing in volume, and the tragedy is that. Regular Americans who live in small towns, whose vote counts, who have never necessarily come into, you know, regular American Jews might think of Jews as something other than American. I mean, this is happening, isn't it? So so how worried should people be? Because, you know, we're seeing synagogues being attacked. We, I mean, even, you know just the attack on Congress people. And uh, it, it, it all feeds in to this anti-Semitic hatred. Yeah, and anti-Semitism historically is has been at the center of, uh, of most hate movements, most movements that involve discrimination against uh, against the LGBTQ community or um, or immigrants or refugees or people of color not just in the United States, but across the world, anti-Semitism and conspiracy theories about Jews are almost always somewhere as, as part of the catalyst of building that movement of hate. Now you re reference the banners uh, that were hanging over the, the highway um, that you know kind of went viral. The biggest problem with that is that there were six neo-Nazis uh, out in California with that banner but there were tens of thousands of blue checkmark verified Democrats on Twitter who were blasting out their propaganda. Therefore, not and, and not censoring this propaganda at all. They, their website for this neo-Nazi organization was all over Facebook. You know what that website does? That website is, is a pipeline to hate. It's not just where, you know, someone who's curious about what this is, who may, you know, want to be a neo-Nazi and sees that website, now they know where to go. That's also where they can donate. These neo-Nazis make a living off of doing stunts like this. These blue they check know it's gonna get. They know it's going to get shared. They exactly. know it's going to incite uh, Democrats specifically to say, mm -hmm. look how bad the other side is. And, and it's, all it's very childish, done. isn't it? I mean, the way in which, you know, there doesn't seem to be much thought or intellect into you know, actually trying to put an end to this stuff. It, yeah. it, it is like 
uh, a fight in, in a playground. Well, and so it's I'm not saying it's wrong to spread awareness about these these folks doing this stuff. But when someone's got a swastika flag or someone's, you know, putting up a website where there's propaganda, uh, you know, neo-Nazi propaganda and a donation link, which is and that donation link is how the neo-Nazis do this full time. This is their job. Right. Just edit the photo. Just blur it. Yeah. Just crop it. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, if Democrats would just simply just be careful when they're raising awareness about the threat, they would achieve their goal. But what they're doing right now is they're creating fear because they're making these six neo-Nazis look much bigger than they actually are. And they're helping these neo-Nazis fundraise. Is this something that we could, you know, as as pro-democracy people, I mean, I'm not a Democrat, but I'm very much pro-democracy. I don't actually get to vote in this country, which is partly why I'm not a Democrat. But I mean, because we we worry that the people that shout the loudest are often not the majority. They just make the most noise. And so when we're hearing all of this noise from the right and the far right and the extreme right, uh, does that kind of you know, what we, the polls never tell us how it's going to be. The polls traditionally have always been wrong. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, you know, the polls are, are pretty much neck and neck for the midterms. But so that doesn't really help us at all. But I sometimes take solace in the fact that, you know, Democrats maybe are an increasingly silent majority and they recognize that their vote really matters this time around. And, and Rovember is a phrase that uh, we at Midas Touch are throwing around because, of mm -hmm. course, you know, the Roe v. Wade is very much on the ballot for the midterms. But how, you know, how much or how seriously should one take all of this neo-Nazi and far-right propaganda in the big picture? What, in your experience, what kind of percentage of people are going down the rabbit hole with all this? Uh, uh, or can we still relax knowing that there is a comfortable majority of sane individuals in America? So the way that people need to think uh, is not in terms of numbers or percentage, like the total number of neo-Nazis or the percentage of people who are neo-Nazis. What they need to do is think about Timothy McVeigh, was one disgruntled neo-Nazi veteran who understood explosives and he killed hundreds of people by blowing up a federal building in the 90s. You know, uh, fewer than two dozen um, uh, folks took over some planes on 9-11 and forever altered not just our country and, and our democracy, but the state of the world and led our country into wars that killed hundreds of thousands more when you count, uh, you know, both sides and all of the civilians who were killed, right? So small numbers can make a tremendous difference. Uh, the attack against the Capitol on, on uh, January 6th, that was not that many people. Like, yes, it was thousands, but percentage-wise of, of the United States population, percentage-wise of, of Republicans, or percentage-wise of people who identify as MAGA, you know, as, as Trump Republicans. It's a tiny, minuscule percentage, minuscule number. But those few thousand people nearly took down the United States government, nearly ended our democracy. So people need to be extremely concerned. What we saw on January 6th can happen again. 
you know, I, I think uh, what January 6th, I, I hope, helped people realize is that Washington isn't some magical place. Everyone who's there are human beings and human beings are vulnerable and we are all mortal. And yes, the Secret Service and Capitol Police uh, are, are great at what they do, but they're not, um, they're not bulletproof and they're not perfect. We, we can lose our democracy to violence and it doesn't have to be a civil war right? It, it just has to be a few hundred insurgents. I, I don't get the feeling that the GOP or the far right or whatever you want to call them, I don't call them conservatives anymore because those, those days are very much over. I don't actually think they care for democracy to be saved. I, I don't think that democracy as a construct is something that really interests them anymore. I've said before on the show that the words Democrat and democracy are too close and therefore that they'll just throw both of those into the same trash can. But but fundamentally, if um, and it's being said by a lot of the candidates that they'll accept the results of the election if they win, mm -hmm. that is proof positive that they are not interested in democracy and that they can you know, send their militia friends out to patrol drop boxes all they like. But if they're not going to take any interest in the in the results, if they lose, well, then we're into a whole different realm for America. And, mm -hmm. and, and really, it's not anything anymore. It's going to be very much a, um, a, well, it'll be a civil war that is being predicted. And, and in fact, I'd say that a lot of these people that have been doing these Confederate kind of reconstruction games on the weekends have been doing it because they're waiting for this moment. They've got their muskets and their shields, and they are looking forward for this end of days. Would you agree with, with that, that there is, there is a number of people here who have been waiting for this for many, many years and are, in a way, kind of thrilled that democracy is finally going to fall in the States? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's happened, um, and... I, you're absolutely right to not call Republicans conservative. They don't have conservative policy platforms anymore. You know, anyone who's who's used Facebook, uh, who's got, you know, a politically diverse set of friends, or at least had a politically diverse set of friends back when, uh, in the before times, has seen someone post on Facebook about how we're a republic, not a democracy, yeah. right? That That is a... That is a huge talking point that just resurfaces all the time on conservative, uh, Republican affiliated people on, on or people identify as conservative and people identify as Republicans on Facebook. Right. What that tells me is that they've never read Democracy in America by Tocqueville. <laughs> it, it, it tells me that they never read the Federalist, Federalist Papers and Federalist Papers don't use the word democracy to be clear in that way. But I mean, democracy is is a word that. Uh, that is traced back through all of the Western history uh, that they claim to be so proud of and responsible for, right? That's the whole theory behind the, the Proud Boys, that they created Western culture, right? They haven't been sitting around reading Plato. But people like Carrie Lake, who are saying that they will not accept uh, the results of an election unless they win, Carrie Lake is a fascist. Carrie Lake meets all of the hallmarks of the definition of fascist. She will not accept the loss 
um, in a democracy of her or her party. She's also an ethno-nationalist. She has been, you know, using uh, the terms immigrant and terrorist as if they are um, fundamentally the same, yeah. right? She is um, getting into Christian nationalism, right? And when we talk about this word nationalism, you know, the, uh, the neo-Nazis have convinced so many people in the press and otherwise to call them white nationalists. What is a white nationalist? A white nationalist is a white person who thinks that their nation should be entirely white. How do you take a multicultural, uh, diverse nation like ours and make it white? Genocide. So don't use the term white nationalist. Use the term genocidal maniac or neo-Nazi because those are appropriate. And this is what Tucker Carlson has been pushing for, this great replacement theory, which he talks about in code, where mm -hmm. unless you really know what to listen out for, you wouldn't really pick up on it. But he, he is he is effectively saying that he and his white, powerful friends are the superior race and that anybody else, whether they be Jewish or immigrants or, uh, you know, refugees, which he likes to call illegals, are mm -hmm. are you know, there is a threat to the kind of the, the white race from these people, despite the fact that America still is is significantly majority white. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's important when talking about the great replacement theory um, to, you know, to explore it a little bit in, yeah. in the way that it is framed for a Republican audience. So is it true that uh, percentage wise, the white population is shrinking. Yes, that is true. Why? Because our population is growing and uh, people of color, they're uh, statistically more likely to have more children, more immigrants of color are coming in. Yes. But the great replacement theory is not about those facts in the background. The great replacement theory takes those facts and tells white people that white people are being killed, that there's white, what they call white genocide, right? They've, they've taken reality and flipped it upside down. And that is the, that is the, um, that is the theory that Tucker Carlson, the conspiracy theory that Tucker Carlson has been pushing on the most watched cable uh, news, or I shouldn't call it news, cable show, period. A tremendous portion of the United States is essentially being brainwashed. They've been trained by Fox News to get rid of their critical thinking skills and to act entirely out of emotion, uh, to constantly feel aggrieved and as if they need to go on uh, the go on offense against those who are trying to take things away from them. Right. And, and most of the people who are most affected uh, who respond to the great replacement conspiracy theory, they are in no way impacted in any way by any of the the, you know, bull behind it. Uh, you know, I <laughs> if when um, when pollsters go out into Midwestern states and places like West Virginia and the border is like the number one issue for Republicans. Why is that? That's not because of the experiences of these people's lives. It's because that's what Fox News tells them to be concerned yeah. about. They're, they're they told no what to fear, aren't they? It's like, you know, a, a traditional news channel will report the facts and report the news. Mm -hmm. But channels like Fox 
are telling people what to feel. You, and you hear it all the time. I'll hear Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity or Laura Ingram say, you should be ashamed or you should be, you should, you know, you shouldn't stand for this. And, mm-hmm. and, and they do it in a way where it's like, we shouldn't stand for this. Like, we know something that they don't. We are the, we have the majority stake here. I, I once heard you talk about military bases and how mm-hmm. uh, the the television's in these bases invariably are showing Fox News because Nielsen ratings say it is the most watched news channel and therefore that's the one they, they put on. What is the effect of, of that in the, in the U.S. military? Yeah, so, so the United States military likes to say that they're addressing the extremism problem, uh, that they're taking it seriously, that they're studying, that they're, they're enacting new policies. Well, the most effective thing that the United States military, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense could do to address extremism within the ranks is stop Fox News from getting broadcast across bases, not just in the United States, but all across the world. Because what is Fox News? Fox News is a disinformation channel that aligns with anti-American interests uh, that undermines faith in our military. I mean, the whole Tucker Carlson thing going after specific soldiers, junior soldiers, to ridicule them because they were in a recruiting ad to compare them to the Russians, who obviously are, you know, a paper bear of an army because, uh, you know, we've seen what Ukraine has been able to do to them. Um, it is unfathomable to me that uh, folks sitting around the Pentagon or in the White House think that they're addressing extremism in the military or military readiness while they haven't even begun to deal with the Fox News problem of building sympathy among folks who are serving in uniform for the insurrectionists, for creating, uh, you know, Fox News is helping to create a young generation of people who are just as brainwashed as our grandparents who sit around watching Fox News all day. And the only reason, like you said, uh, that Fox News is like the dominant channel on military posts is not because the military is inherently conservative. The military is more young and, uh, and more diverse than it's ever been before. Fox News is being broadcast purely because of Nielsen ratings, because they go, oh, well, it's, it's popular. Well, that's because all the young people have cut the cable, right? And the only people watching cable are the old Fox News watchers. So it's effectively brainwashing young troops uh, into adopting false ideologies, conspiracy theories, and anti-American, anti-democratic beliefs. Are we seeing um, some clarity with the fact that there are there are so many people in uniform, both in the sky and sea and land, but also in sheriff's offices, police departments, who are actually far far right supporters. We saw, I mean, to me, this was most exposed when there was the mandate for COVID vaccines and you had police unions fighting it and saying, you know, our boys don't want to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was a bit of an eye opener. Because we've always thought that there's a chance that a certain percentage of law enforcement at, at whatever level, be it military or, 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 or civil, are on the right. But 
this is really not helping, is it? You know, and, and I know that some police officers were accused of, like, helping on January 6th by opening the, the gates. I, I don't know whether there's any truth to that. I think that was more about the, the militia organisations. But I recognise that, you know, with the shootings of black people, you know, that it doesn't seem to, you know, despite George Floyd and despite Derek Chauvin's sentence, you know, there is still this desire to kind of have this white superiority amongst amongst law enforcement. What is your experience of that with the work that you do? I, I am... Um... I'm glad that people are coming to understand that we have a far right problem in the law enforcement community, that it's not just, um, you know, folks in the military, veterans who've been radicalized, but it's people who wear a badge and carry a gun and are supposed to, their job is supposed to be to enforce the law and, and keep United States citizens safe. Um, but these things are inextricably uh, connected. There, over the last 20 years, um, the, the global war on terror era since 9-11, there's been kind of this fusion of this vet bro culture of these uh, folks who serve in the military, get out and, you know, always wear an olive drab or a tan t-shirt, you know, uh, who uh, are carrying guns, right? They're, they're the black rifle, coffee, cool vet bro. And some of them have become police and some police have adopted that lifestyle that like, oh, I'm a killer, you know, I deployed uh, mentality into their policing. And there seems to be a, a, a serious cultural problem uh, in, you know, in places like where I am in New York, where cops are, are putting on their personal vehicles, uh, stickers of the Punisher, the, the comic book character. Uh, they associate the Punisher, uh, Punisher with someone who takes the law into their own hands and is uh, you know, and is, is strict and extreme, right? The Punisher killed dirty cops in the comic book. The Punisher was, was enforcing like civil rights. He was not a hero of cops, but this, um, this vet bro culture has corrupted um, police culture in a way that is extremely dangerous, where police no longer think that their job is to protect and serve um, the citizens of, of uh, their jurisdiction, but to enforce, you know, to, to be the person with the gun. And, you know, as we saw in Uvalde, um, you can have hundreds of people with guns um, and they're not necessarily gonna do the right thing all the time. They're not necessarily gonna you know, put themselves in harm's way to save innocent little kids as they're being slaughtered. Right? Which seems quite contradictory, doesn't it? Because, you know, the whole rhetoric is that, you know, you need good guys with guns. I mean, even mm -hmm. the police chief there is refusing to resign, despite yeah. the fact that he is ultimately responsible for, for those children who were, you know, suffering at the hands of somebody for an hour with, with mm -hmm. police refusing to go in. So it seems to be one rule for one and one rule for another. I mean, do you think in that case, just very briefly on that case, I mean, the kid who was shooting was white? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to put into words my frustration with the culture of, of policing uh, versus the reality. Folks in the military that I served in when I was in the army, uh, whether it was stateside or overseas, 
we did not um, treat people with disdain the way that um, the way that police seemed to, the way that police were treating parents at Uvalde. I mean, the, the, one of the heroes of the day was a, a mother who was tackled by the cops, detained, ended up, uh, you know, getting away, hopping a fence, getting into the building and, and uh, extracting her kids, right? Yeah. While the police stood around and, and bullied parents who were freaking out as their babies were being murdered. Um, it is... It is mind blowing that this is happening in the United States because, I mean, the rules of engagement that uh, that we use in war don't allow us to manhandle civilians like that. Um, and certainly, you know, we'd be going after the danger. We wouldn't just be standing around letting them slaughter kids. It's it's heartbreaking and enraging all at once. Violence is. Um... The thing that worries me the most, I mean, I have two young children in, in schools here in the U.S. So obviously, as all parents are constantly worried about school shootings, it's, it's, and it's crazy that it should even be a thing, but it is. In no other country on the planet does this happen, only here in America. Proliferation of guns, more guns than people, very few mental health services for people to access um invariably the people that need it most don't have insurance and half the time insurance doesn't cover it i mean that's a whole other subject but my my biggest concern is that you know you don't need a gun necessarily i mean look at nancy pelosi's husband who was woken up at half past two in the morning by somebody who came in through a back door in their house in san francisco with a hammer and was attacked these violent attacks are only going to increase because of the anger and the rhetoric of these extreme GOP politicians who are the ones with the mouthpiece and the platform and mm. have it. The thing is, it's all fake, because if you were to take away all of this noise, people would actually be living rather peaceful, kind of lovely lives. But but all of this exists in Tucker Carlson's show and in in the social media space. The reality is, as you say, with, with immigrants, they're not really causing any problem for people in communities. It's only a problem when leaders claim it's a problem. That, that we're living in a kind of completely fake environment mm -hmm. where, where what we, is being reported is different to reality and where a hammer can be a weapon. And, you know, what, is, what has Nancy Pelosi done to anyone? And yet Nancy Pelosi is hailed on the right as the, the Antichrist. I mean, yeah, and you're, and you're where right do we even the, start with this? You're right to use the term Antichrist to describe the way that uh, Republicans have depicted Nancy Pelosi uh, over the last, well, over my entire adult life. She has been the most popular target of Republican um, uh, disinformation ads and uh, targeting ads. You know, the the problem that Republicans have created with using rhetoric that puts Americans at war with one another is what inspires this type of violence. Yeah. Just this past week, we we just passed the four year anniversary of the the first MAGA bomber. The guy down in Florida who, uh, I don't know if he lived in the van or if the van was just covered with Trump stickers, mailed pipe bombs to CNN. And I didn't see 
like a word of it anywhere, right? It's just four years ago, someone tried to blow up CNN reporters because he was told that CNN was the enemy of the people, right? And now that it's there's all these Trump alkalites, whether it's uh, Margie Three Names or uh, the dummy in Colorado going out and, and you know putting guns forward and policy way behind them, uh, they are helping to inspire maniacs who will commit terrorist attacks. And because they're using stochastic terrorism, these Republican uh, members of Congress and, and officials, st there's stochastic terrorism is not, not against the law. I mean, you can advocate for violence. And when you know, people in your, your flock respond to those calls for violence, you can go, oh, I didn't know that person. You know, when, when uh, the FBI you know, had someone in Ohio try to break into the building and kill people just a few months ago, that, that person was a vet. Um, that, that like disappeared from the news within days, you know, if, if, uh, but he got himself, he got himself killed effectively. I mean, this is the mm -hmm. thing. It's become like a kind of kamikaze if, um, uh, event for some of these people, they don't care. And, and what keeps being replayed in my head all the time is the more I hear this anger and this, this angry rhetoric, I'm thinking someone is going to die now. Mm -hmm. We, we, we've heard in the last few days that the, the guy that went into Pelosi's house was ch was chanting, where's Nancy Pelosi? I mean, he couldn't have been that smart because if he'd have done any research, he would have known that she was still still at the U.S. Capitol. But the point is that if if Mr. Pelosi had been killed, I mean, he got attacked and he's an 82 year old man. He got attacked and he's expected to make a full recovery. But if he died and let's say he was this close to death being attacked with a hammer, that is very, very serious. And, and in his own home, that is now what is happening. And yet the right will compare it to, say, Democrats protesting outside the home of Samuel Alito or Clarence Thomas, uh, you mm -hmm. know, protesting abortion when they're not in the property, they're not on the lawn of the property, they're on the public highway. And yet mm -hmm. they'll say that, and I've heard them say that, well, that is that is as bad as someone going into the, the Pelosi household. It's 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 taking the truth and just manipulating it. I mean, we, we are I repeat, we are living in a false, untruth society. Yeah, well, you know, when people when people on the left hear the word Antifa, you know, they think people in black masks breaking windows and burning cars and, and being anarchists. Antifa means anti-fascist. Yeah. It is to actively fight against fascism. I am an anti-fascist. I don't wear black. I don't, you know, put a, a mask over my face and go break windows. I sit behind my computer, perform investigative uh, research to hold neo-Nazis accountable for engaging in violence. That my team at Task Force Butler, it's a bunch of veterans who serve their country, you know, sometimes at war, sometimes multiple deployments, whether they were a Navy pilot or a, a Marine machine gunner in Afghanistan. These are folks who are anti-fascists, who are working to save our small d democracy day in and day out, and they're, and they're volunteering, right? My whole team is a team of volunteers. No one's getting paid to do this. We are not um, some scary thing that uh, you see on the news. We are anti-fascist activists. 
in the way that we engage in activism is to find justice for victims of violence and harassment and intimidation. You know, our goal is to help veterans uh, with Task Force Butler to find the identities of the unlawful militia who are going and putting up, um, you know, holding guard around drop boxes who are engaging in voter intimidation. And we're not going to do that by, you know, strapping on armor and, and weapons and going face to face with these maniacs. We're going to sit there and, and take screenshots and we're going to take photos, you know, in person and we're going to piece together the puzzles that, it, that are required to find their true identity. And then we provide that to law enforcement and to journalism and we let society solve society's problems through, uh, you know, either criminal or civil law, because that is the way that you save democracy. It's not about fighting. It's not about a civil war. You know, groups like mine are making a difference. Okay, we have to finish, but I'm uh, very grateful for the work that you do, um, but for your expertise, and I wish you continued success in both your recovery and also your um, campaign and your crusade. Thank you. Really so, appreciate it. Not at all. Uh, Christopher Goldsmith there. Don't forget to subscribe to The Weekend Show on YouTube or as an audio podcast and also the 5-Minute News Daily Podcast, which drops every morning so you can listen while you make your coffee. I'm Anthony Davis. Join me next week with a brand new special guest and three more factual news stories to discuss on The 5-Minute News Weekend Show with Midas Touch. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.